All right, commercial's over. Take your Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 12. As we continue our journey through John on Sunday mornings, John chapter 12 will begin by reading verses 27 through 33. The Bible says in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled. This is Jesus speaking. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. There came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I, excuse me, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This said he, signifying what death he should die. So remember over the last two weeks, we've considered verses 23 through 26, this parable that Jesus gives of a kernel of wheat going into the ground, uh, dying so that it may bring forth much fruit. And we saw how Christ was speaking about his death uh, through this, and, and also how that applies to us and how we need to die um, so that we can bring forth much fruit as well. Uh, that was last week's message about us going down and identifying with Christ and death. And, and remember at this point in our text now, we're less than a week until crucifixion day. Uh, it, it, we're getting there. It's, it's, it's right around the corner that uh, Christ is going to be crucified. And, and Jesus here, just a reminder, he's speaking to those Greeks who had come to Jer- Jerusalem to worship during the feast of the Passover. And remember, they went to Philip and they asked an audience with Jesus. And so Jesus is speaking to them and he's speaking to whatever crowd was associated uh, or surrounding him that day. And as Jesus addresses them, he likens himself to this kernel of wheat, which must be buried and died to bring forth much fruit. And as Jesus uh, is speaking of his impending death, he says at the beginning of verse 27, Now is my soul troubled. Now before we get too far into this message, I want to give you my opinion on something here, on what I feel Christ was troubled about. Uh, Many say it was the physical pains of the death he was about to go through. I've always been of the persuasion personally that Christ wasn't troubled over his death in of itself, though it would be torturous, which Christ knew because he said so there in verse 32 and 33. He knew how he was going to die. He made it many clear. Uh, he <laughs> Lord, help me. I'm so tongue twisted this morning. He, he made it clear many times that he came to this earth to die. Did he not? I mean, he said it throughout his ministry. He had come to this earth to die. Remember, he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He knew what his mission was. Um, He knew he would be raised back to life. He said that as well. And so, therefore, I'm not convinced that Christ is merely troubled over a physical pain of death that's about to come, although it would be horrific. Uh, However, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is troubled in his soul, and he's talking about death. We can't argue that, right? Um, And so in in the other gospel accounts, we read on the night of Jesus' betrayal that he was in agony and that his his soul 
was exceeding sorrowful unto death. And, and if you really want to get the sense of just how bad that experience was going to be, just, just the raw emotions that were going through Jesus leading up to and during his death, you need to read the Psalms. And you need to read some of those with Christ's crucifixion in mind. And you get a lot of details of what it was like for Christ. I'll give you an example. Psalm 88, verses uh, 3 through 7 says, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength, free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more. And they are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast led me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Listen now. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Selah. And then in verse 16 of that same psalm, it says, Thy fierce wrath goeth over me, thy terrors have cut me off. If it's true that Jesus wasn't troubled over the actual physical part of death, then what made him troubled in relation to his death? I personally believe that nothing was more troubling, more sorrowful, more agonizing to Christ than being rejected by his Father as he became sin for us. And when that happened, he was enduring the wrath of God on our behalf. Um, That passage in Psalm 88 says, God's wrath laid hard upon him. And, And those waves of wrath were afflicting him. And as God's fierce wrath crashed over his only begotten son, God cut him off. Jesus cried while on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there was no reply from heaven. In verse 28 of our text, uh, Jesus prays and there is a voice from heaven and God answers his prayer, but not on crucifixion day. Why? Because he was being forsaken of the Father. Isaiah 53, 8 says, For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And, and I just want you to consider this thought, how from eternity past until Christ on the cross, there had never been a separation in the Godhead. Perfect fellowship. Perfect communion. Always in perfect agreement. Always holy. Always sinless. But then there came a day when God the Father would turn His back on His only begotten Son. And for the first time and the last time, praise God, there was separation between God the Father and God the Son. And for reasons that I will never comprehend... God the Father chose a wretched sinner like me that day over His Son. And and it says in Isaiah 53.10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. 
And and, and I understand why it all transpired, because God was reconciling sinners to himself. But I'll never understand why me. There's nothing good about me. As for me and my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. And the thought of the Son being separated from the Father, the thought of God turning His back on Him, the thought that Jesus must endure the separation, troubled His soul. And I wonder this morning if any of you would be troubled at the thought of being separated from God. Please listen, if you're without Christ, if you have never place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then you're facing an eternity apart from God in a literal place called hell where His wrath will forever abide on you. Now that ought to trouble your soul if you're without Christ this morning. But I have good news. And and that's what gospel means, by the way. Jesus died so you could be reconciled to God. You don't have to face the wrath of God this morning. And you don't have to be troubled in your soul over the matter of salvation. The debt's been paid. You just need to receive it. And you just call out to Him by faith admitting your sinful state, your lost condition apart from God, and you cry out to Him to save you. Says, is that simple? Well, that's how God saved me. Is there anyone in here that knows that they are lost right now? Is there anyone like that? You know deep down in your soul that you're not saved? And, and, and it troubles you that you have yet to enter into a relationship with God. You know you need Him, but in your pride, you keep refri- refusing Him. Is there anyone that needs to be saved this morning? Is there anyone who would be willing to swallow their pride right now and slip their hand up and say, Preacher, that's me. I need to be saved. Is there anybody like that? I'm being dead serious. Is there anybody in here? You need to be saved. There's nothing more important in the matter of your salvation. And, and I'll stop the service right now. And we'll get you dealt with. Amen. That's why we're here. Listen, you're amongst friends this morning. And you're not here by accident. And, and, and if you need help, that's what we're here for. Nobody's going to make fun of you. We'll rejoice with you. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Okay. If somebody's under Holy Ghost conviction, I don't have to twist your arm to get you to be born again. So we're not going to labor here. The rest of the sermon is for the rest of you, apparently. Those who are saved. So we find in our text that at the very center of who Christ is, He is troubled. His heart and soul is all stirred up inside. Now, it's an interesting statement, I think you would agree, from Jesus to say, my soul is troubled, because over in John 14, 1, he's going to tell his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. 
right? I mean, does anybody else kind of think this way? And so um, he, he's going to say that. But for those of you who study the Bible, you know that everything depends upon context. Isn't that right? Uh, you just can't take out a verse, and, and, and well, people do, but you're not supposed to. You need to get the context. Um, and, and so, for example, at the end of John 13, before Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled, um, he, he's talking to his disciples, and he's telling them that he was going to be betrayed and that he would only be with them for a little while. And then he said, where I'm going, you can't go right now. And so uh, he, he tells them that. But then he says there, John 14, 1, 1, 1 through 3, or 14, 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Therefore, in context, we're not to be troubled that Christ isn't upon the earth any longer. And we're not to be troubled about our final destination. Uh, because while we can't go to where Christ is right this second, there's coming a day when he will receive us unto himself. Now, unless the Lord comes, uh, comes again here soon, most of us will experience that through death. But he will receive us unto himself, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. According to the Bible, there are many things that we are not to be troubled about. Now, just think, for example, that the Lord promised to meet our needs. And we're not to get troubled or stirred up about those things. Amen? Um, Adrian apparently went off-roading or I think I said Wednesday night you went to a monster truck rally or something <laughs> and decided to just break the sway bars and, and the whole rear. Anyway, and, and, and listen, I, I, and, and it's so funny because I joked with her before she left. I said, you understand if you break down, you're not coming back. <laughs> you ever had some of those trips, amen? You're like, hey, we're just living by faith, Amen. I won't tell you how much is in savings, but, you know, it wasn't even enough to buy Coca-Cola. And I just thought, you know, if you go down there, you're, you're done. I'll, don't worry, I'll remarry. You'll be fine. Uh, and, and so uh, she goes down there, breaks the car. And uh, she didn't break the car, but <laughs> car breaks. And, and I'm sitting there going, <laughs> that's funny, Lord. <laughs> Lord's got a sense of humor, doesn't he? And so I'm sitting there going, well, uh, I hope you like Tennessee. Because at this point, she was at my parents' house, and thank God she was. And so anyway, I, I just thought, you know what, Lord, I'm not going to worry. I'm not acting like I'm a super Christian here because there's plenty of stuff that I need to confess. But I'm telling you, when it comes to this point about God meeting our needs, it just didn't bother me. <laughs> Number one, I couldn't do anything about it. You understand what I'm saying? So why get all worried about it? That's one thing my dad always told me, and my dad lives like... You know, you'd never know if he's a pauper or a king. He's just a Peter Pumpkin. I mean, he's, he's just, that's how he lives. And so I, maybe I picked up on some of that, and I just thought, you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. God knows how to meet our needs is what I'm saying. Amen. So don't get troubled over those things. Now, let me caveat that with this. If you're in that position because you've got the $80,000 car, that with it comes a $700 a month car payment, that's a different story. Say amen or something. Come on. And, and so uh, it, it really depends on how you've been living your life financially. But anyway, 
Peter wrote this, we're not to be troubled if we suffer for righteousness. So you go out there, you start to testify, and somebody hates your guts. Amen. And you just don't get troubled about that, and you just keep pressing on. But what's interesting to me here is Jesus is sinless. And yet, his soul is troubled. Obviously, there are some things that can trouble us and it not be sinful. Are you picking, up, picking that up here? Because oftentimes we say, well, Christians should never, never be troubled. Well, then Jesus sinned, and we know he didn't. And so Jesus being sinless here, he, he, he says that his soul is troubled. I would say this, the difference then is what is causing the trouble. What causes the, the stirring in our lives? And while we don't have to be troubled about our standing with God, those who are saved, we don't have to be troubled about God's provisions or suffering for Christ, I do believe there are some things in which we ought to be troubled about. I don't know how you feel about it this morning, but I'm troubled over the direction of our nation. It stirs me up. I I hate that we're one election away from socialism, and you can take it from there. We're practically there now. That's why we're so close to it. Is everybody with me? Or did I accidentally preach to a bunch of socialists and didn't realize it? Because, by the way, socialism is bad for the gospel. You don't believe that, look at the socialist nations. It troubles me. That, that troubles my, my, my soul. Um, I think it's okay that we get troubled that in our nation today, evil is being called good and good is being called evil. That ought to trouble us. I think it ought to be troubling that we are literally going into a womb and stirring that baby up and yanking it out. I understand the medical term fetus, but I'm going to encourage you as a Christian, don't use that term. There's a child in there. Amen. That troubles me. I'm troubled over people dying and going to hell. And as a pastor, I'm troubled over those who backslide and withdraw. And, and those who just drop out altogether. It troub- it's, it's troubling. So the question at this point of the message is, what troubles you? What stirs you up? And I think it's an important question because what stirs you up is an indication of your heart. It tells you where your passions lie. If you're being stirred over wrong desire, then that's a heart issue. For example, believe it or not, there are people that get all stirred up over video games. Now, that used to mean the kid in the bedroom playing the Nintendo 64. Or maybe the Atari. Amen, Adrian, you're older than I am. <laughs> we have an Atari, man. I love it. So anyway, um, you understand there's men that will actually call in sick to stay home and play video games? <laughs> it stirs them. It's their passion. It, it's what drives. There are those who get stirred up over sports. I know what that's all about. That's their passion. And they will miss church and forsake the things of God 
to pursue that. There are those who are passionate about their bodies. They will spend hours in the gym laboring to look as good as me. (laughs) And yet never address the inner man. I'm not against video games. Well, certain of them I would be, but I'm not against the actual act of, you know, beating the family in Mario Kart. Um, I'm not against sports. I, I love competition. I mean, I sat there and watched darts on TV once. Darts. <laughs> I'm not against that. I, I'm, I'm not against those who want to take care of their bodies. There are those who are passionate about politics. It troubles them. It gets them all stirred up to the point where they will literally sit four hours in front of Fox News and not spend 20 minutes in their Bible. Is everybody with me? Uh, (laughs) We can go on and on, but what stirs you up? What troubles you? If it is those things which are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, then you've got a heart issue. On the other hand, if we are passionate about seeing the lost coming to Christ or the backslider being reclaimed or for a relationship to be reconciled, then I believe that those kind of troubles are not sinful. And to be honest, it would do us some good this morning if some of us would get a little bit troubled about where our walk with God is at. Preacher, preacher, that's good. We know when we need to be walking closer to Him. We know when we are not right with God. Even the lost know that. You ain't got to go down to the bar and say, Hey, did you know you're a sinner? No, I knew that. You want one? Am I right? It's the religious people. Anyway. So what troubles you? It ought to trouble you if you haven't heard from God in a while. It ought to trouble you if you aren't in God's word. It ought to trouble you if you're not telling others about Christ. It ought to trouble you when you don't pray. It ought to trouble you when you begin to think you don't really need church. And many times, something else far less important is what grabs our attention and what stirs us But what's more important than your relationship with God? What troubles and stirs you is what moves you into action, whether good or bad. Isn't that right? When we truly begin to get serious about our walk with Christ, then those less important issues begin to just fade into the background. Because now our pursuit is Christ himself. In the 20th chapter of the book of Acts, Paul speaks about going bound to Jerusalem. And he says he doesn't know what things are going to befall him there. And then he says in Acts 20, 24, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And the Apostle Paul was far more concerned about what Jesus thought about his stewardship of the ministry he had been entrusted with than he was what the world could do for him. Excuse me, could do to him. He was far more concerned about his walk with God 
And when we're focused on Christ, then our troubles shift from worldly ideas to godly pursuits. Husbands and fathers in here, when we get rightly troubled and stirred up about the things of God, we will make the effort to be the head of our home. That's Bible. I know it's not popular today, but men, we will love our wives. Whew, I feel sorry for some of you women. Good night. We will raise our children in the nurture of the admonition of the Lord, and we will train them in the way in which they should go. Amen. Wives and mothers, when you get rightly stirred over the things of God, you will respect your husband, and you will desire to be in subjection to him. Well, for all the women that said amen, you know what that means, men? You need to step up and be the leader of your home because she's willing. You say, well, nobody's not willing. Oh, yeah, I've had women in this church come to me and say, there is no way I'm submitting myself to that guy. Oh, well, when you call me up for marriage counseling, remember you said that. <laughs> Lord, we're not even at family camp yet, and it's on. <laughs> I've got to make my, my mouth feel better. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Wives and mothers, when you get your, 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 your troubles, your, your stirring in the right direction, you'll, you, you'll, you'll stop using that acid tongue in the home. You'll try to be a peacemaker in the home. You will lead your children in righteousness. And children, you're not off the hook this morning. When you get rightly stirred and troubled about your walk with God, you will honor your mother and your father. You will do your chores without murmuring. You will be thankful. You will stop with all the electronic sneakiness. You'll stop lying and deceiving. You'll make time for God. When we get rightly stirred up in our church, then we will go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. We will tell people about Christ. We will get uncomfortable in here to make room for the hungry, the broken, and the lost. It's all a matter of what stirs us. Whatever stirs you up on the inside is an indication of what has captured your heart. So I would just ask you, examine yourself. See what stirs you up this morning. Is it godly or is it worldly? Now, believe it or not, I didn't mean to spend that much time on that. But let's get back to our text. I want to give you one more thought. Remember, Jesus is speaking in the context of his death, and he, he states that he's troubled. Then after that, he asks in verse 27, and what shall I say? What shall my prayer be? Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? And it's really a rhetorical question because he answers his own question by essentially saying, no, I can't pray that because it was for this hour that I've come into the world. For Jesus to, be, to pray to be saved from his hour would be to pray against the Father's will. And he's not going to do that, so what does he pray? Well, look at the beginning of verse 28. He instead prays, Father, glorify thy name. So what shall I say? Uh, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No. But rather I should say, Father, glorify Thy name. We've already established 
that Jesus is proof that there may be times in your life in which your soul is troubled. And like Jesus, it may not be a sinful trouble. But you may not know what to pray in that moment. Have you been there? And the words just aren't coming. And you don't really know what to pray. I just want to encourage you this morning that when you find yourself in those situations, in those times, and honestly, it's really in every situation in life, that you learn to pray this, Father, glorify thy name. This will help you to refocus. It it, it helps you to divert the, the attention off of us and back to God and transfer our sense of responsibility on all the details, on on all the little ins and outs, back to God where it belongs. Because now it's not all about us, but it's all about Him. And then we can trust in His sovereignty. Because the truth is, God doesn't always answer our prayer the way we want. It could be something that even troubles us and stirs us, and yet God may not answer the way we want Him to. But don't forget this. Jesus' soul was troubled to ease our troubled soul. He always answers according to His will, and it's always His will for His name to be glorified. In the time of Jesus' trouble, he goes back. Listen now, listen. When he's troubled in his soul, he goes back for the cause of his life. He goes back to why he's on this earth. He goes back to why God sent him. He says, it was for this hour that I've come. And we know he's speaking about his death. He says he's going to be lifted up from the earth. And so in his trouble, he goes back to why he's there in the first place. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He goes back to what God's purpose is for his life, and that was this, the glory of God. When Christ was born, the heavenly host praised God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he would say, I seek not mine own glory. Before his death, Jesus prayed, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And when Jesus comes again, he said, For the Son of Man shall come uh, in the glory of his Father. Do you see what kept Christ's focus? It was his desire to be glorified, uh, for God to be glorified in his life, that drove him to fulfill God's will. It was God's glory that He allowed himself to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. It was for God's glory that he was scourged and mocked and spat upon. It was for God's glory that he was nailed to the cross. And it was for God's glory that he shed his blood to make reconciliation for sins. And so if we understand what our cause is, it will help us to stay the course and to stay focused upon accomplishing God's will in our life. What is our cause? Why have we been created? Why has God left us upon this earth? Just like Christ. Our purpose is so that God may be glorified. 
Isaiah 43, 7 says, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Philippians 4.20 says, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Are you seeking God's glory in every situation of your life? Now, the answer to that question is going to reveal your maturity level in Christ. How much you've grown, if you will. It reveals how much you trust God. It reveals how much faith we have in God's will for our life. In Romans 4.20, it's speaking of Abraham, and it says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Whose glory we seek is where our focus is. John 7.18 says, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.21 says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. Amen. And here's the bottom line today. At the end of your life, will you have lived for God's glory? But you don't understand, the situation I'm going through, it's, it's really difficult I do understand, but I also know it's nothing like what Christ endured for His Father's glory. I want to encourage you this morning, keep pressing forward for the glory of God through your difficult situation. Keep pressing on. Don't get your eyes off of the Lord. Don't forget the cause. And just pray, Father, glorify Thy name. And if God doesn't remove the problem or lift you out of it, then know this. His grace is sufficient for you. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to His purpose. Let God have the preeminence in your life and give Him all the glory. Let's pray. Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you for the Word of God. I Pray now the Holy Spirit would do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Lord, maybe there's one who genuinely, they know they're not saved. They know they should have spoke up earlier. Would you give them another opportunity to come forward now? And Lord, to the rest of us, I pray that we would understand that why we are here is for your glory. And may we live our lives according to that. Lord, help those that are in, in the thick of things, that are going through it. They feel like they're, uh, the waves are crashing over. I pray that you just help them keep their eyes on you and just cry out for you to get the glory for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Heads bowed, eyes are closed.